August 7, 2023, it's a lot for Pedro's show.
Watch for Pedro Show. Happy Monday. Start off training in. This is an excerpt. John Coltrane, November 22, 1962. Uh, live. Then we have Benji Johnson with Freakishly Tall. I just got the part with Sue in uh, Beneath the Underdog, Charlie Mingus's book. And five foot eleven, right? Whoa. Cut down the. Who was telling me about cutting down the tall tree? Oh yeah, Tony in yesterday about horrible history. Uh, because of those Estonian uh, software engineers with their Skype invention, I got all the way from North Carolina. Benji Johnson, welcome aboard, Jet. Benji. Brother Watt, thank you so much, man. Absolute, absolute fellow band member, big brother. Was it last year that you did the tour? You came with your boy, or two years ago? Yeah, it was last year. Okay, it was right. It was actually right around the same. This same. I remember it week. was summertime. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So people, brother Benji got to witness my town in person with his son. <laughs> that was. It's ama- hey, it's amazing, man, and not just witness it. I got the, I got the personal tour. Actually, who should be the the mayor of Pedro, man? Come actually, on. the last uh, one of the last cats in the boat because it got donated. <laughs> no, what yeah. happened? Right in front of the pad. Well, I got eighteen years, a lot of tours, a lot of gigs, kept me and the cats safe. So I'm not going to bum too hard, but yeah, had to let it go. <laughs> Oh. I think it was 154 in the morning. Uh, across the street, the uh, neighbor's uh, ring camera thing. Uh, yeah, it only took them a minute and a half, you know, pros. And about 10 days later, I recovered it. Uh, everything sawed out, and so insurance company wrote it off. And another boat. Anyway, you got to ride it. Oh. But uh, so, hey, that's yeah, the way it dude, works out. Could have been a lot worse. I could have been, been in that boat when it was donated, okay? Luckily, I was caught yeah, no kidding. my pad. Yeah, so I got to look <laughs> on the good side. Look, I'm really interested, you being a Spirit of Hamlet band member and also that cat who uh, brought it together for the mix job and all that. So I'm curious about your journey with music. Can you bring your earliest musical recollection, please? My earliest musical recollection was either my first birthday or my second birthday, and I cannot... I mean, obviously, I can't remember which one it was. I think it's, I think it was maybe when I was two, and I was in a high chair. It was one of my first memories ever, but it's a, it's a, it's a funny musical memory. But I was in a high chair, and everyone they put a piece of cake, they put a cake in front of me, and they turned out the lights, and they sang Happy Birthday. Everybody sang Happy Birthday, and I started crying. Whoa. <laughs> That's, that's I guess the that was the verdict that I remember, but it's really like one of my first memories. memories well, maybe you're just and being... I think it's probably because they turned the lights out, but I was, I think I was two maybe. Uh, but you know, that's, that's as early as I can, I can remember, but it's, 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 it's musical in a, in a, in a wild way. Yeah. Maybe you were being honest with the verdict on their performance. That was the the early producer coming out out in me. Give it another try. Give it another one. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, okay, this pad you grew up in. in the back. This this pad with the the high chair, was there also musical instruments? There was, man. My mom, 
who is, uh, God bless her soul, she's still with us, man. She is 93, and she had a guitar. We just called it a banger guitar, and it would just, it would, it didn't have a case. It stayed in the front closet, and she had that guitar in the house, and she would play. She learned, she told me she learned three chords when she was seven years old. And she could still sit down today and, you know, her hearing and her sight's horrible, but she could sit down and play you those chords and those songs. And um, from when she was probably, I guess, six or seven. And that guitar, just an old guitar, I think my dad bought it four years ago. It's a, I've, I've still got it, actually. It's a, re, a little Regal. I think it's called a Regal or a Kent or something like that, an acoustic guitar. But it was in the house, and and she played it like, I, you know, we 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 would mess with it, but it was always just sort of like, you know what I mean? It was sort of like, you know, she would get it out and she would play songs. And um, and so we, you know, we, we had we had that to just get out and kind of mess with. Like, I didn't know I, I was the youngest of four. So once my sisters kind of got out of the house, there were things that were left behind, like, you know, their record collection and stuff like that. But that guitar, I would I would we would get it out every now and then. And my mom didn't know how to tune the guitar. Um, so she would call my uncle who was this really super badass traveling fiddle player. Um, he would travel in those old, you know, those old bands, uh, the, the, the bluegrass bands, you know, that would have like, a that they would have like the old, um, the old station wagons, you know, where the stand up bass would stick out the window and there'd be nine of them in there. He would, when, from the time he was young, he would travel around with bands like that, you know, and he's a really good player and she would call him on the phone and, he would tune her guitar by ear over the phone. He would tell her, you know, nope, turn it, turn it some more, turn it some more. That's right. And so I remember watching things like that, but it was always my, my mom, you know, doing it. Uh, and it was never, I never really took guitar lessons and that guitar was really, it was horrible to play. You know, it was like almost discouraging, but yeah, that was, that was, that was around my house and her, her playing and singing, you know, was around the house from the time we were all, from the time we can all remember, you know. Well, let me ask you about school. Were you in the marching band or the choir, shit like that? Man, I was in, I was in the band. We had like, we had two, our school years were kind of different around here because most schools go like four years per school and you go to three schools, you know, we had, we went three years per school. We went to four schools. So the second school I went to, I think it was fourth grade maybe or fifth grade. I think they kind of vetted you out for a year to make sure you weren't like a trouble kid or something. But then they would they would have to where you could join the band, I think, in the fifth grade. And so I I wanted to join the band. And I didn't know I had a I had one of my sister's boyfriends played saxophone. That's the only phone. That's the only horn that I had ever really seen in real life or heard. And it was really cool. And I was like, well, that's a cool, you know, that's a cool instrument. So um, so in the fifth grade, what I didn't realize was they had a po- they had a point in the year in the school year where you wh- where it came time to 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 be, you know, to for band classes to start and for you to like you had to order. I guess you had to order. You had to get your own. You know, you had to get your own instruments. They didn't really have school instruments. So you had to. Have one, and I, and and I saw kids start to like come to, come to school with their horns and everything, and I was like, wow, I didn't know. Nobody told me it was. I, I want to join the band, you know. And they had this. Apparently, they had had this meeting, this big meeting, in the in the uh, in the auditorium, 
and they had a big assembly with all the students. And they they did this sort of group exercise where they would play you a pitch and they would have you raise your hand if it was if you thought the pitch was higher or lower to the pitch before it to all the kids in the whole school. And I was probably jacking around with my friends. I don't even remember that meeting, to be honest with you. So at that point is where they weeded out a lot of the kids like, oh, these kids don't have pitch or these kids don't care. And then they invited all the rest of the kids that were really paying attention and really looked like they maybe had some sort of tonal, you know, thing to uh, to join the band. And uh, and I never really got that memo because <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. So my parents actually I told my parents, I was like, band class is starting. And they told I think they told me that they talked to the they talked to the people at the school or the instructors or whatever. And, and they they told me that. And I was like, well, can I still be in the band? And they were like, yeah, because you want to be in the band, you can. So, yeah, I joined the I joined the band elementary band in fifth grade and I played fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Um, like through junior high school. And then in ninth grade, I, I started playing football in um, in ninth grade for the junior high school. And football was like the first, it was like the first athletic season. So you had to haul, and I rode my bike to school, you know, so you had to haul everything with you, man. I had, you know, I'm riding down the street at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning on a 10 speed with a football helmet, a set of shoulder pads and my books and a horn case. And I was like, all right, one of these things has got to give. <laughs> and and it became the horn. Um and that what, was, was alto you know, tenor? That was it was alto. Yeah, okay, it was, yeah. I had, I had, a, had a Bundy. I had a Bundy alto sax. Yeah, Bundy. What about the first record you bought with your own money? First full record I bought with my own money. No, it don't have to be full was, any kind of thing. It could be a forty five. Mm. With my own money. Yeah, because you ain't got a lot when you're a kid. So that's why I asked that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, so my own money, I want to say the first record I bought with my own money was, believe it or not, it was Don't Say No by Billy Squire. And who was uh, uh, the first gig you saw, first performance of music? First performance of music I ever saw was John Denver. John Denver. You gave me this yeah. music. Uh, actually, you gave me this music a while ago, and it came up again. But this tune ain't. But Sonic Prophets. Let's play this.
after many, many talks in cafes.
Pedro Show, that chunky music star off the Sonic Prophets at the mercy of our pops, of your pop stars. Okay. I guess you'd want your own pop stars to be the mercy of, <laughs> but not yours. Uh, Eugene Chadbourne. Uh, you, you, uh, are you talking to me from Greensboro? Yeah, man. Okay. Because Professor Eugene Chadbourne is, lives there too. And I, he sent me this tune this morning called The Immature Cult. And I put an excerpt. You know, his tunes can get pretty long. Psychobilly guy, people. Uh, 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 purveyor of the electric rake <laughs> way back. But he's just down to acoustic. Guitar <laughs> yeah, man. Days. Yeah. Uh, Scotty was telling me he played <laughs> drums for him for uh, some stuff. After that, from uh, Anchorage, Alaska, Muskeg Mudsuck with Iron Fist. Tim Hill with Candlestick. King Style of the Week. Is that a band name or what? Erie Boulevard. Uh, Veda Hill Sisterhood out of Vancouver, Canada. Out of Vancouver, Washington. Watch it when you go on the I-5. You might get fooled going across the Oregon-Washington border. You haven't made it to the Canadian yet. I wonder why they did that. Uh, Burst Neighborhood song. Uh, somebody you might know. Kim Ware, her band uh, Yaller, called Key Card to Juilliard. Uh, Juilliard, right? This is why Miles Davis left St. Louis to find Charlie Parker. I think one semester. Triola, brand new. Foghorn. Uh, MSSV. Oh, yeah, I got a tour coming up. 30 days from today. Baby Ghost from the 1900s off new album. What's it called? Human Reaction. And then finally, Benji Johnson with Nana versus the Trees. <laughs> now, now yeah. you know the thing about, okay, we, we learned about football winning over alto sax. So what about the, not graduating school, but afternoon when you get out of school, do you get into the basement band Bedroom band, garage band thing. Man, when I when the when the whole saxophone football thing happened, I think the sax probably sat in the house that whole year. And you know, my mom was pretty adamant because they had paid. I remember that their payments were seventeen dollars a month on it. I don't know how many months they had to pay for it, but you know, and I, and, I, and and you know, she was she wasn't mad, but she was kind of like. <sighs> you know, need to do something with this thing. There's a lot of money, you know. So we went back up to the music store. And in the meantime, I had, um, I had met a, a, I had met a friend, a new kid that had moved into the neighborhood and he only lived there like a year, man. It's like, I've, I've, I've actually, I've actually, I've actually, uh, reconnected with him, you know, and just made him realize like, Hey man, you don't live in my neighborhood a year, but you are a massive influence. He had, an old electric guitar and amp in his house. So we would go to his house and hang out and it wasn't his and he didn't play, but I would turn it on and mess with it. It was the first electric guitar I was really allowed to mess with. So when we went to the, when we went to the music store to see what we could do with the saxophone, we traded it in on an electric guitar and an amp. And that started the whole guitar thing, probably around 10th grade, I guess, or somewhere between ninth and 10th, but I wasn't in a band band. There wasn't a lot of kids. It was so odd, man, because you look at it now and well, when I talk kids, when I when I say son, garage band, basement band, bedroom band, like that's like me and D Boone in the bedroom just trying to figure out songs off the record. So I don't know if you call that a band yeah. band either. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I mean, I started learning from wherever I could learn from, and it always seemed like, of course, at that point when I was first starting out, that any, anyone that had an instrument already was better than me. So it was really hard for me to, really hard for me to reach out and go like, "Hey, you want to play together?" Because I didn't feel like I, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know anything to be able to play. But there was a, there was another kid. Um, there was another kid I went to high school with in the tenth grade, and he played electric guitar. And his name was Bucky. <laughs> and Bucky was like, I'll teach you how to play guitar. And I was like, oh, cool. So we he would he called he called me on the phone one afternoon. This is sort of the same thing you're talking about, just across the phone instead of in the same room, I guess. And he taught me how to play. He played his guitar over the phone. And it didn't sound like my guitar. It it was it had distortion, you know, like it had like it really sounded like the guitar off the records. And I was like, that, that's not your, that's not you. That's not, you know, my guitar doesn't sound like that. That's not you. Because he was playing a, he was playing China Grove by the Doobie Brothers. You know, and he's playing that riff. And I thought he was playing me the song. And I said, man, that's not you. I said, you're just, that's the record. He said, no, man, that's me. I'm playing that song. I said, it's not. And so he taught me how to play that day over the phone. He taught me how to make a power chord, you know put your finger here and put your finger here and then play those together. And then, and then, but he would play them on his amp and it didn't sound, they didn't sound like mine. So I knew I had to, my amp was really clean. It was like a, it was like an old premier solid state amp or something. It had tremolo on it. That was killer, but I didn't care about tremolo back then. I just wanted to rock, you know? So I had to eventually. Hey, go born to on the bayou. Pedals, born so. on the bayou's got some fucking intense tremolo and it rocks. Very oh, North, yeah, very yeah, Northwest. Very Northwest Bayou, but <laughs> yeah, right. John, I read somewhere where John Fogarty said that was the only tune he wrote for Creedence from a jam. Really? I wouldn't shit you, Benji. Wow. <laughs> I know you wouldn't. I okay. know you wouldn't. <laughs> okay, but that's bitching. <laughs> but yeah, I was No, no, what I'm getting from this, because your mod learning how to tune from your uncle. Over the phone, learning China Grove over the phone. The phone's intense in those days for you. So no, no, like bedroom thing. You know, no one on one in person thing yet. Not yet, man. Right. I, 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 um, I would play. Well, I mean, of course, then I, you know, then then Bucky and I started going to school together. I think we had met maybe that summer before school started. And once we started going to school together, then we would get together and he would show me songs and show me riffs and stuff like that and and sort of how things worked on the guitar and little walk downs and, and stuff like that. And then I would start to kind of identify. He would show me pieces of stuff and I would start to identify the sound that he was making with the same sound that somebody else was doing in a in a song, like in a real popular song or something like that a guitar part and I was like, oh, that sounds exactly what like what he was showing me. I just had to figure out and and tuning and speaking going back to tuning again, like, you know, when I started getting into it, tuning was a tuning was a thing where you like I, I didn't obviously know how to tune the guitar. Like if I was playing a song, most of the time my guitar I was lucky if it was like relatively in tune with itself, much less to a 440 or whatever. So you're, you're putting your hands where the book tells you to put your hands or what, whoever to put your hands, but the D chord doesn't sound like their D chord. So I have to figure out a lot of that bedroom, just me sitting there and just shedding, learning how the guitar works and learning how, like learning how 
if I'm playing in D, my D has to be in tune with their D, and then I have to tune the whole guitar. And then am I in tune in tune, or am I just in tune with that song? And then people started tuning like half steps down. So it really became more about, not that, but I mean, just part of it became more about how do I actually, how, how do I figure out how to tune this instrument properly? So if I'm trying to, you know, l learn the mechanics of it and shed my guitar playing, I'm doing it the right way. And that was, you know, I, I, I talked to my son about that a lot, about like, that's a big, it's, 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 it's transposing in a weird way, you know, like, but it's also learning, you know, your ear, your ear gets really, really good. You know, we didn't have, I didn't have a, I didn't have a tuner. I didn't have money for a tuner, you know? So we yeah, just had to, we look, just tuned to the record. I got, I got really you, good at tuning to the record. You know? I got to tell you to have that sensitivity that to know you're out of tune. Cause me and fucking D boom didn't tune for a year. We couldn't even tell we were out of tune. <laughs> we thought it was a personal thing. Some dudes like tight strings. Some liked them loose. We didn't even relate that shit to pitch. We were so retarded. Yeah. It's nothing to really be proud of or shit. But maybe that's part of why the Minutemen ended up sounding like they did. Look, Benji, we're at the end, not the beginning, but the end of the first hour, August 7, 2023 edition. What Peter's special gift, Benji Johnson. Hold tight for hour two. August 7, 2023. It's the second hour. A lot from Pedro's.
doing six next. Song so new doesn't even have fucking title.
Watch for Pedro Show. Start <laughs> off the second hour with Benji Johnson doing the vast waltz. Not just any waltz, people. And not the last one either. You know that pad in that documentary? That's where the Portal for Power guys used to prac when I was helping them out. I don't know, 20-something years. Really? Yeah, where Rick Denko goes, hey, this wow. used to be a horror. And yeah, it's got all these little rooms in it and shit. Anyway, um, Tom Hall, after that <laughs> dualistic ordering of events, has 50 fucking, 56 miles from Pedro. One way. But it was worth it. They're beautiful. Wow. Uh, dualistic ordering of events, Tom Hall. Mazinga, live. Song called Six. They just wrote it. They didn't have a title yet, right? Live, June 4, 2023. R04, uh, Tokyo with Imperfection, brand new. 100 Flowers, reissue. I'm Like You. Yeah, they tried. The, they were called the urinals, right? And so they changed their name to 100 Flowers so it'd be easier to get gigs. It didn't work. <laughs> Went back to urinals. <laughs> Benjo Matic. Now, this is something I got to learn about, Benjo Matic, but later on. Shoot that pig. Uh, okay, so when do you get in a band, Brother Benji? Man, my first formal band that really we got all together, I was probably 19 or 20 years old. I was in college, and uh, and we, uh, I had, a, I had a, a kid that lived in the dorm next to me, a buddy of mine. He had guitar, and we taught each other how to play. I taught him how to play a lot of stuff, and we would get together in our dorm rooms, man, and we would just shed tunes, but we didn't have a band. And then a buddy of mine um, in, in college, another dorm person, you know, roommate, not roommate, but a friend of mine from college had a buddy of his that lived in Charlotte, which is about an hour and a half from our school. And he said, man, he said, he's a great drummer and he plays all this stuff. He knows all this stuff that you guys are playing. You should you should get him to play with you. And I was like, well, shit, I don't know him. You know him. You should get him to play with me. So he has this guy come up, incredible drummer. And at that point, we were living in a house and it had a garage in it. And that was like my first garage band, but I was probably 20, you know, and so uh so it was me and him. There's a cat named Scrabby. Me and my buddy Scrabby. His name was Mark Scarborough, but they called him Scrabby, which is a great name. And then, uh, and then Gary was the drummer. And then we had a, a bass player named Brian Brian Healy. I gotta and say, we it's didn't a have bad, a singer like a lot of bands. It's got to be a better name than Scabby. Huh? It's it's probably a better name than <laughs> Scabby or uh, what was the other one I was thinking? <laughs> but yeah, nicknames are bitching. Right. Yeah, and you're right. A lot of bands don't yeah, have singers, same, right? Because you're you're playing stuff, or, or 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 would you were you starting to write material yet? Man, I was. We learned covers, but I was all about like I wanted to write and I wanted to start. You know, I wanted to I wanted to write because it's just like can I wanted to see number one. You know, can I can I do this? Yeah. And um, but not having a singer, it was always weird. You know, back then, because you know when I came up playing the guitar player. Just so many bands that I that I that I listened to, the guitar player was only the guitar player in the band. You had a singer, you know, I had a lead singer. You didn't I didn't listen I mean, a lot of stuff that I listened to just didn't have the guy that played guitar and sang at the same time. And I never really fashioned myself to be a singer until later. And then uh so I was like, We have to you know, we have to get a singer, you know, and there was never a singer. So we just we just ran tunes instrumentally, man. We would learn tunes down cold with no vocals and just learn them down tight, cold, and just run them and run them and run them and run them. And then we got one of our professors in school to sing for us at a battle of the bands. And it was great, man. It was like, you know, that was like the gateway drug to all this stuff, man. And then and then we had a singer we had a singer come up from Charlotte. Are you saying that Battle of the and Bands? And he sang with us at an. Are you saying that Battle of the Bands gig was your first gig? That was my first real gig. Yeah. Okay. It sure okay. Was. And, and was, it? was it? Did you win? No. Oh. But the but okay. the band that won. Yeah. Didn't play music like we did, but the reason that they won is because their their singer 
he was they were a three-piece so they had a singer guitar player guy kind of like you know like 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 d boone but that cat could talk and they sat down little sections and he talked to the crowd and there was a part where his guitar came unplugged or his volume knob went bad and he played it off so good dude and never missed a step and i was standing there like we're gonna lose because this motherfucker knows how to work the stage and it doesn't even matter how bad or good their songs are. Not just work did. the stage, <laughs> not just work the stage, but work the room. Because he was working the crowd, right? Yeah, he really so was. So you're not and saying I actually, it was... I thought you were going to say like the contest was fixed, but he just had charisma, right? Okay. That's beautiful. He was he was great. And did I you guys up, have a name for this band? I ended up working with him in a... For your that band? very first band was yeah. called... That very first band was called Backseat Romeo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't fault, don't fault me for that one. It wasn't my fault, but no, I did agree okay. to it. <laughs> it's okay. You, look, you gave me some more bed dramatic. We got to learn about that later. Gary Busey, crazy. Ten years were airborne and rained the entire out. A cup from Wendy's, a broken blender, a dozen roses. He had to say in her. She threw the perfume and then the ink pens and all his CDs. He shouldn't need them. They all had told her she'd be better in the end. She never listened, but they all. Been good friends, and then she found out what she didn't want to know. Her broken armor was beginning to start to show. A molded sandwich, a broken bracelet, a wrinkled cable bill. She hadn't paid it yet, and then some tickets. They were for Broadway. Never knew that she'd learn the hard way. She cranked the car and she rolled her windows down. She stomped the pedal and it never made that sound. Then all the shit had pushed her brain to overload. She thought his stuff would be good. Ass like she was Gary Busey crazy She never said that she would go without a sound She liked the window while going out the window She likes to watch it as it's blowing all around now She left his ass like she was Gary Busey crazy She had a strong connection to the other side They always said she was the saner of the two She went straight there without the motorcycle ride Hole in his head the size of a half a dollar. When he woke up from a coma four weeks later. 
The man that flew all the way from the sun.
For this one it's like we didn't have we've just got together and ran these tunes you know it's like we would just practice and practice and practice and uh and i don't think we never thought about a band name i mean you know because we didn't have any gigs and all of a sudden it was like wow we got a gig we got to have a band name so it all kind of got thrown around from other guys and i was like yeah that's fine man i think that's fine I'll, we'll go we'll go with it okay you tell know? me and other- then, uh, 
tell me about Backseat Romeo uh, con or with uh, your professor singing. Did you do gigs with it like that? We did one gig with him, man. He said, I'll do the Battle of the Bands for you just to get just so you can get in and we'll and we'll do it. You know, and he's funny. I still keep in touch with him, man. He was he was he was like an adjunct professor. So he was about eight, maybe 10 years older than me. And, but he was young at that point. You know, he's in his he's in his late late 20s, early 30s. So he sang. He was like, I'll do this and I'll show you guys like this is what you need to do. And I'll show you how to do a gig because he was in a band, but he played keys in a band and then he would sing a little bit. So he just said, I'll sing lead for you if you can't find a singer. So that was fun, man. I mean, that was our first gig and we just okay, really so he it on and did the whole thing. He quits. You know? And now what, what, what does Backseat Romeo do when the professor quits? We had two more. We had two more gigs that we did, and we did them at a place. And I went to school at Appalachian State in a town called Boone, North Carolina, which is a tiny town. It's not as tiny now, but it's still, you know, you ain't gonna you ain't gonna build up the side of the mountains. So it just sits in a little valley and it can only get so big. But anyway, so we played at a little place. It was a. I mean, they had a they had a nice stage in there, and you know, bands would come through and play there. So we played two more gigs. And we had, and this was my first, this was my first introduction to really dealing with quote singers, like singers get a bad rap, but I mean, you know, and, and some of them that just are, you know, like my friend used to call them stick singers because they just stood there. They were just a stick. They didn't have anything. They didn't have a guitar or a bass. They're just a singer. So they just look like a stick standing on stage. So she would call them stick singers. So he was a stick singer, right? So he drives up. So the first thing is he never comes and practices with us. We run all these tunes down cold. He's like, yeah, I know all those songs. And I was like, oh, great. You know, so this guy comes in. And I mean, man, he was the biggest rock star, you know, and all that stuff. And we go in and do the gigs. And uh, and it was just, you know, it was kind of a pain in the ass because, you know, we're all, you know, we, we've booked this thing ourselves, And we kind of want the, you know, and the guy shows up like the guy shows up that afternoon. And I think we ran the set maybe twice with him. And we're like, OK, let's go do it, you know. And we did it, you know, it was good, but it just became, it just became like, you know, like we got to, I, I was already dealing with the, that was already dealing with the singer thing. Like, hey, is this guy going to, will he come and do another gig with us? You know, like he's going to grace us with his presence. So, yeah. you know, once we all kind of graduated from school, that band kind of dissolved. And then uh, I got into a cover band situation in uh in Greensboro, I got cut as odd because, you know, you think back then it was all it seems like it was all like, you know, uh, Pony Express as far as communicating with people uh, as opposed to nowadays, you know. But I got home and I'd been out of town for four and a half years, never played in a band guitar. And I got a call a week later and there was a guy and he was probably in one of the bigger bands that got to play around there. And he was like, hey, man, we need a guitar player. And I heard you're a badass. And I was like, the hell do you hear? I'm a badass. I don't even live in this town. So he. So I went out and rehearsed and ran down like 35 songs with those guys. And then we played for two or three years in all the clubs uh, around there. And I met and I met a really good friend of mine named John Ray. He And he did the same thing. He called and said, hey, man, I hear you guys are looking for a bass player. I was like, you live two hours away. How did you hear I'm looking for a bass player? Like the guy just quit like two days ago and we don't talk. So he came down, played with us. It was amazing. And I just saw him two weeks ago again in Nashville. He lives in Nashville now, but he's he was just an incredible bass player. And he got me, he got me into the original thing, like really trying to write and 
you know, we had a we had a singer that I didn't think was too great, but he was an incredible front man. Like I was really picky on certain things, but he was a really great front man. And John was like, dude, I don't care how the guy sings. He's really, really good, man. We should just go with him. And I was like, OK, you know, so and then when John got out of the band at that point, he went and started. He got he actually went and joined a trio in Charlotte. And I think they got signed to they got signed to A&M like eight months later. And so that was like, that was like, oh shit, this, this stuff is real. Like that can, the, the, the record deal and all that stuff can happen, you know? So it really, <laughs> yeah. that really well, opened wait, my eyes to a yeah, lot of stuff. Yeah, but wait for the next point. part. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. Look, one I got to stop dropped. you here. Just for <laughs> one record. Right, right, right. And getting to debt and all that shit. But, 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 uh. Oh, yeah. We ran out of time, so i got to wait and continue on the next hour. People, hour two, uh, August 7, 2023, you just want special guest, Benji Johnson. Hold tight for hour three! August 7, 2023, third hour, watch for Pedro's show. She bought her brains by the bucket full. She used her chains from her pocketbook. She thought God blessed the other girls with something she'd buy new Cause she bought her brains by the bucket full When she went to bed at night She knew something wasn't right The vision victim
Watch for Pedro Show. Start off third hour with Ben Jomatic. Yeah, Walter Becker didn't like it. He said it was retarded. I think uh, Donald Fagan said it was dumb but effective or something. Anyway, brains by the bucketful. Another Ben Jomatic. So we got to learn about this Ben Jomatic. And Emily Dickinson and Crane. This is Crane's, uh, the last poem he gave me where he took her stuff and played acoustic guitar and sang it. Rest of night. Remember, Emily Dickinson wanted to be known as a gardener before a poet. There's a lesson there somewhere, people. Doug Wimbish, incredible bass man out of Connecticut with a uh, log drum. <laughs> Beautiful cat. Big inspiration to me. Ratchet Orchestra out of uh, Montreal with Wish, part two. Shadow Animals, Can't Get Away From Me. And finally, Benjamatic, Suffer Time. You got to enlighten me. You know, I want to ask you how you got your studio going and stuff, but I got this urge to know what fucking Benjamatic is about. <laughs> so, so, so it kind of go, it kind of goes hand in hand. I'll try to, I'll try to make it, you know, I'll try to make it concise, but I bought, I bought studio equipment. I started out just having a, just having a curiosity in it. And, um, there were tape machines I went and got a real job after college for a little while, but I made good oh, money at real it. And when job. I was traveling, I had to. It sucked. It was great. It was actually a cool. Well, it yeah, was but why a cool is it? Job, but, why you know, is it music considered a real job? That trips me out. Because I work hard at this shit. Well, it is now. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I know we say we're so, playing a gig, right? But man, you gotta work at the shit. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're I'm working sorry. the gig, that's right. They know playing, too. Right, right, so, right. Uh, so, yeah, I bought some equipment, and uh, I bought some ADAP machines and a couple of little Mackie consoles, the little 1604s, and I started recording and understanding kind of all the all the things that go into that, and I always had a curiosity with it, and that's kind of how that whole thing started. But then I bought a, um, but then I bought one of those uh, Pro Tools rigs, and it was called a DGO-01. I know about a Mac computer, probably in '99 or 2000, and I started doing started doing that thing. And after I bought the Pro Tools rig, um, I was doing some other recording. I was doing some classical recording, which yeah, that's a whole other thing, man. I could go an hour on that. But, but <laughs> the uh, so so when I bought the Pro Tools rig, I kind of had to figure out how this whole thing worked. But I didn't have any bands to record. But I had to figure out how it really worked before I recorded any bands, before I said, hey, come on in and let me charge you some money, and I don't know what I'm doing. So I would sit there with Pro Tools. Yeah, right? So, so Because I knew how to record on tape, and I knew how to take those tapes and import them into Pro Tools. But recording directly into Pro Tools and just making sure I was getting it right was and, – and, man, I mean, you know, it wasn't really – Pro Tools wasn't really what it has become now. It was very – basic it was like recording to a tape machine oh i, I used it, it on, but I the used editing it 1995 was i used uh in 1990 no 1997 i used version 1.1.1 and i could i just used it for sound oh. effects so you could move it around yeah on my first opera because the graphical thing you could put sound effects wherever you wanted using your eyeballs no more razor blade yeah man <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so, so I got that. I got that Pro Tools rig, and I sat down, and I started trying to use it and kind of figure out. Like, I, I, I understood how to import drum loops off of these things called Acid. There was a software called Acid. I don't remember Sony Acid, 
was a looping software. And, um, and I started out with that and, and it was acid would, acid would take the, take the audio of the drum loops or whatever kind of loop you put into it. And it would stretch it to time sort of like Ableton does now, but it would stretch it to time. And it was, it, it was pretty good at it for back then. And so I got into kind of messing around with that and I was like, well, shit, I don't need a drummer. Like I, I can, I can kind of mess around with this stuff and figure out how the software works. And you know, and, and, and we're all good. Well, by the time I sit down and I'm messing with all this and I'm playing some guitar parts just to have some guitar parts down, I start kind of writing these songs and these progressions. And I was like, wow, this is kind of like, it's kind of like I'm writing songs. And so I started writing songs and just playing everything. And I would get a, I would get a guest player every now and then, like I would get a guest player to come in and go like, okay, I've got all this stuff in Pro Tools, but it doesn't have any drums on it. Let me see if I can overdub drums to this into Pro Tools and pull it off. Like the whole thing, you know what I mean? It wasn't like a whole live recording that was that was hinged around the band playing live or me Absolutely. getting it all right with a band standing there. I was like, let me start overdubbing. So that those songs, before I knew it, I had six or seven songs written and finished with vocals and everything. And I'd started writing vocals because I just got tired of working with singers, man, just to be really honest with you. Yeah. I got tired of, <laughs> I got I, not tired of it. I, I, I didn't, I'm a, I, I learned at that point, I'm a control freak. And if I'm at the mercy of someone else's creativity to where my stuff goes and I can't really put my, I can't, it, it, and it steers things away from what, vision that I had for it, then I should probably just do it. And, and, and the other thing is too, the reason I started singing and writing was if I'm going to tell someone else that their part is not good or their part is not what I had in mind, I need to be able to show them what I had in mind, or I need to be able to tell them, this is why I don't think this works. I don't, I didn't want to be the asshole in the band that just said, Hey man, I think your part sucks and then not have anything for it. That's just completely counterproductive to me. So no, I, started writing, I started writing. I started, can I ask started, you, you one know, thing though? Telling myself, I'm like, can I ask you one thing though? I'm curious. Did yeah. you ever check out a drum machine? Oh yeah, dude. Oh, I did. okay. Okay. I had an SR, I had an Alesis SR 16 and it would take me for, ever to program that thing okay 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 and yeah, yeah. i wasn't i wasn't really good at programming them and i would try i would try to program them as if they were a real drummer but at that point that i had that drum machine i i didn't know how to think like a drummer yet okay it it took me but some, it took me working somehow on these the, but anyway all somehow the, the software version of drums was easier for you maybe because of the environment huh yeah, it was, man. It was, it was, and, and it wasn't, but it wasn't MIDI. Like I didn't know how to do MIDI. I didn't know how to do, how to do anything MIDI. Like MIDI was no, I understand. It was all inside. Was strictly it, just all audio. Yeah. It was just inside the Pro Tool world. I understand. Yeah. It was just loops. It was like audio drum loops, you know, right, that, you right, could, right, that, right. that would stretch to time or whatever. But yeah, so the, those, all those songs that I started writing at that point, I, yeah. I played and sang and wrote everything on them. So I did, I tried to do like a, like a, like a Prince thing and just say like, okay, here's the whole tune. I'm playing it. Like I would read about Lenny Kravitz doing it. And I thought that was yeah. cool. And I thought, I think, I, you know, I can, I can do that. And if I'm going to fail at something, I would rather fail doing it all myself. And, you know, I wasn't worried about succeeding. I just didn't want to fail at it. And people would hear the songs and say, shit, man, that's really good. And I was like, really? 
I was like, you really think this is good? And they were like, this is really good. So I'd play them another one. They were like, is that you? And I was like, yeah, that's me doing everything. So I, I finished off, I finished off those six or seven songs with enough to make it a release of 10. And then I put out a CD and then I put a band together to go start playing. And then that scared the shit out of me because I'd never been a singer on stage and play guitar at the same time. But I was just like, well, let's go. And I just did band rehearsals and put a band together and started taking out and playing it. And that's just sort of what I've done since then in different iterations. No, you know? Now, this, this band was Benjomatic? Yeah, yeah, that's what I okay, called it. Okay, can you that's, remember the first? I just called it Benjomatic. Can you remember the first Benjomatic gig? I can't. I can. It was in Burlington, North Carolina, and it was at this little thing where they had maybe four or five bands and a buddy of mine that was playing bass for me at the time. I think he got it, maybe. I mean, I may have gotten it. I don't know. I may have gotten the gig, and it was in the parking lot of a Food Lion grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> and it was and it scared, it scared the shit out of me, man. Like, I mean, I'm just sitting there oh, in front yeah. of people like, all right, I'm getting ready to play and sing these songs. And I was – and I, I mean, man, I was probably damn near 30 years old at that point. Now, now, you know? what about – now, you ain't and, got the fucking Pro Tool rig doing the drums. You have a live drummer, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Live drummer, live bass player. And I picked up another guitar player because I would put I would put guitar parts on the record that needed to be on the record as opposed to like, who do I have in my band? You know, like like this doesn't sound like, you know, bands will come in here and record all the time and they will be like, I don't want to put a second guitar because we only got one guitar player in the band. And I was like, OK, well, if you can pull it off, pull it off. But the song needs to me, the song always needed what the song needed. So I picked up a I got another buddy of mine to play guitar to, you know, to play second guitar, mainly, mainly so if I screwed up singing and playing, I had somebody covering my ass on guitar. Now, uh, how would you, was, how, how, would you rate, how would you rate that first gig of Benjamatic with the first gig of Backseat Romeo? It was, it was like two different worlds, man. I mean, my first gig with Backseat Romeo was my first gig, first gig. Like, okay. Was, well, that makes total was, sense. Yeah. I was, I was excited. I was scared, but I was excited because we had rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. And with this band, I had rehearsed, but I felt like I was doing something that was like uncharted territory to me, you know, and it was, and it was, it was, it was something that I keep coming back to telling myself nowadays is I, cause I kind of, a few years ago, man, I just kind of stopped actively booking gigs. I said, if people want to call me and they want me to play, I'll come and play, but I keep going out and booking these things and just working myself to death to feel like I'm doing them to really feed my ego. Plus, it didn't feel dangerous to me anymore. Does that make sense? Like when you go out on stage, I want something to feel dangerous, like like new enough to where there's some portion of it that I'm flying by the seat of my pants. But it got to where, not that I was phoning it in, but it got to where when I would go out, it was so second nature to me. And I was like, okay, I'm here and I'm playing and these people are watching and everybody's enjoying it, but I don't feel like there's anything that I'm doing that's 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 dangerous to me anymore. So I just kind of said, I got to have some danger back in it. And and if I went and played a gig, if I went and played another gig tomorrow, which I easily could, it would feel very dangerous just because I haven't done it in a while. Okay. You know? So I want to play this other pride you got that you gave me. We start off the show with Sonic Profits. Let's hear today. Thank you. 
I Bob swear, from Pedro man. Show. Last music for this edition. Start that chunk off with Sonic Prophets doing today. Then Crenshaw Pentecostal. This is a Charlotte band. In fact, the bass man I know because I conked his pad last tour. Jeremy. You know this cat? Jeremy, uh, the, the Million Dollar Movie Man. That's his regular band, but he just joined these Dude, cats. I know... I know they're a drummer. Their drummer comes in here and tracks. Okay. okay. Small bands. world, right? Badass. Such a Competition great, to great Scotty band, Irvin. Okay. Great band. <laughs> and we had Moon X after that with New Prometheus. That was Pretender from Crenshaw Pentecostal. Finally, the Sonic Prophets with Gonna Be All Right. That's very reassuring. I like that title. When do your titles come, Brother Benji? When, when you compose it. What is your composition process, by the way? Do you have a big trove of lyrics? Do you have a whole bunch of little bits on your leash where you do, uh, what's it called, voice memo? Man, it, it, it's, it's, from, it's, from every, it's from every corner of wherever it can be from now. It could be a title. It could be a, you know, most of the time if I get the, if, I, if a chorus comes to me, you know, I can stick it in a phone. Sometimes it all happens. You know, sometimes the music and the everything just pops up in your head and you think, well, shit, that sounds pretty good. That must be somebody else's song. And then I rack my brain and I'm like, that's not anybody else's song. It's just and so I'll put them down, you know, idea wise. And then I'll have songs I sit down and I try to record like I've got it. And then sometimes it takes forever and I'll have a whole piece of music, you know, done. But I don't know, man. I mean, that uh that song that you played earlier called the reaction that was a that was last that was a, edition yeah that was yeah the first, yeah it's a sonic that's a sonic prophet song which I, that's a band that i put together with a guy named roger Coors, bass player and a drummer named kelly pace and that was and my my reason for putting that together is it just like it was just like benjomatic or any of the other bands i kind of wrote you know i kind of wrote everything but i wanted to write it all in a rehearsal setting so i stood in a room with the drummer and we just banged out tunes instead of me writing them all and walking in and telling everybody what they're going to play or recording them without the people in the band. I did that one that way. <clears throat> and that lyric, the first lyric to that song is it ain't about the money till you ain't got none. Sure. And that was, that was from playing a, uh, that was from playing with a guy who really wanted to go out and play gigs. And he sat it, he, he, we did some du some duo kind of gigs with Benjo Matic and, and, and him. He was an incredible harmonica player. And he would always tell me, you know, just book the gig, man. And I was like, well, it pays this much. And he was like, man, don't worry. It ain't about the money, man. It ain't about the money. And I was like, okay, you know, and then I would book a gig. And so I booked some gig that, you know, wasn't paying too great. And he's like, damn, man, what do you expect me to go out and play these things for free? <laughs> and so – that lyric, it ain't about the money till you ain't got none. <laughs> it's kind of like was a quote. The yeah, whole... it was a quote. <laughs> yeah. So Talking and then this cat rapping out. He's rapping out both sides of his mouth. You know, some people, they use yeah. language not to communicate, but to put out a front. I, I, I hate to, I don't want to say that I'm cynical or disappointed in humans, but sometimes I am. <laughs> Sorry. Some days, man. Yeah, yeah. Some but days. some days, some days you get a good song. You get a good song out of it. So. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but is is Sonic Prophet still uh, going? Oh no, this cat didn't last, right? That you, you yeah, made the did, band it, to it, sing it, about it, him. Yeah, okay. It kind of it kind of busted up. Well, that wasn't that actually wasn't the the 
the guy that I wrote that about or, or got that lyric from wasn't it wasn't that band that he was that we were playing with. But the bass player in that band was Roger Coors. He played. Do you know a guy named Unknown Henson? Oh yeah. Do you remember the act Unknown Henson? Yeah. Yeah. So Unknown Roger, up like Halloween. Roger, the bass player for the Sonic Prophets, was uh, um, his unknown was Unknown Henson's touring bass player for 14 years, wow. and played with me in the in the Sonic Prophets. And um and we did that record. He moved to Cincinnati, so we really couldn't. I can't. And and it's one of those things where those three guys are really those tunes. So it's like I almost don't want to go out and play those tunes with anybody else except those three guys. So I don't know that you'll ever hear them. I, I could put a band together and go out and play them, but it just wouldn't kind of be the same. But no, it makes you know. sense. It makes but sense. It is what it is. A good. No, no, no. It's about people, unless you're like branded a name or yeah. something. You know, that's why I couldn't be Minutemen without. Right. I'll always be a Minuteman, but I can't be the Minuteman without D Boone. I mean, just me personally. I'm not talking for other oh. people. Or, or same with Edward, you know, yeah. with the Firehose in Georgia. You know, it's different people, different thing. That's why you give it. Bands have like kind of their own, like songs, right? They become like little people. <laughs> what, yeah. what, what do you got going right now, Brother Benji? What's right, right now? What's contemporary for you, music wise? I am uh, I am I am writing a batch of tunes and working on them slowly but surely. But the drummer, his name is Tim Heisman, and Tim Tim uh, works here locally, and he gets about a one hour lunch break every day. And Tim will come in. I'll set up drums and I'll set up a guitar amp. And if I don't have sessions or there, I can look down the calendar a few days. I'll say, Hey man, you want to come over for some lunch jams? And he's like, Damn right. And we'll come over and we'll turn on well i'll hit record and he'll sit down behind the kit and we'll bang out some riffs and i'll come up with an a part and a b part and maybe a bridge or a c part and we'll knock it out literally within his lunch hour and then he leaves and i've got drums and guitar for one tune that i don't know where it's going to go or what it's going to be and i want to say we're up on 10 or 11 songs and they're all kind of sitting in my lap to finish the majority of them are about half of them are probably 95% finished, but it's really, it's really cool, man. I'm playing a lot of fuzz pedals and stuff like that. So, and I don't know what that's going to be called. You know what I mean? It's not either one of those other bands and it's not really Benjomatic, but we want to call it something. So that's really, I'm looking forward to releasing those uh, really soon as far as a musical, a musical release. Then, then let me put out the invite. When you get this done and you come up with a name for it, can we play it on the show? You come on and talk about it. Of course, man. Of okay. course. Okay, because I'd love to have you aboard. We're kind of out of time now. I could talk to you forever, though, Brother Benji. Truly. Yes, Thank sir. Thank you so much for being here, and I can't wait to hear this with the lunch, the lunch break jams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. You know, hopefully, the music is I'll beautiful. See you in Nashville when you guys are out on tour. Oh, that's right. That's right. We're coming by. Okay. No, I think there's a Charlotte gig, right? Is uh, there a Charlotte gig? I think there is a Charlotte gig. Go go to uh, well, MikeWatt.com. I, I know I got it there. I should go look. I should have this all memorized, but there's like almost 60 gigs, so sorry. But I think there is. And I think fucking Jer- Jeremy, who's helping that other band out from Million Dollar Movie, he's he's going to be on the bill opening up, too. It was Snug Harbor last time, but I oh, think it's sweet. a different ve- venue. I like that pad a lot. Man. Okay. Anyway, I hope to see you in person in October. Okay. Yeah, bro. Okay. But also, you come back on the show with this new project, man. I'm 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 chomping at the bit for it. Please.
People, it's been the August 7th, 2023 edition. What Peter shall keep you powder dry.